What is not written is not said. What is not written remains undone. Some things can be risked leaving to memory and others simply must be noted. These are referred to as noteworthy things. When you encounter the noteworthy that is backed by and based on the word of God, you have met the noteworthy. Welcome to the noteworthy with Teddy Podcast, brought to you by Reverend Teddy A. Jones. Get your mind in gear and your willpower engaged. The revolution begins now. Here is today's episode. Shalom Alekem. I wish to raise with us today the subject of community. What should community mean and do and look like in a time of crisis marked by scarcity of resources and impending food shortage and related undesirables? In my usual perusal of and the invariable unintended exposure to COVID-19 related news this week, a few items led me to this week's reflections. The first was the report that Air Canada announced it will be laying off 20,000 staff members in an effort to cope with the 95% reduction in flights. This number represents more than 50% of its staff complement. The second was the subject of an email notification for the blog post from Carrie Newoff. The title jolted me. It read, How many people won't return when your church reopens? Or will they all come back? Some data and thoughts. The last trigger I'll mention is the fact that I am getting reports firsthand and otherwise from persons who are finding it extremely difficult to cope with the bleeding of the small emergency funds that they owned due to the increased shopping required to feed the children who are at home, not in school, the increasing number of persons who have lost their jobs, and in some cases, trying to cope with the increased prices of items. The handprint of the economic impact of the pandemic is visible everywhere. There are also increasing fears that the impact on the logistics industry, given the Caribbean's imbalance of trade and skewed importation of food, will eventually lead to food shortages in the region, given what is already present and what may be on the horizon. I am compelled to ask, what does the term community of faith mean in such a context? To help answer that question, I suggest two passages of scripture for our reading and reflection. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 5. The Acts text says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, 
the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5 And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. From these two passages, I want to explore two levels of response that ought to arise from the faith community in a time of shortage. I'm arguing that these responses define the faith community and even assess the true faith community. I propose that we explore the response of the leadership of the faith community and the response of the members of the faith community. Let's start with the response of the leadership of the faith community. The faith community is to be a space where people share common faith in God and in each other, thus experiencing genuine solidarity, fraternity, and equality. Instead, the so-called faith community that is evident around us today, seems to be demonstrating more by their actions widespread disbelief and schisms and isms, perhaps best described as a religious group. This is incredibly sad. The current realities beckon us to look again at the word of God to guide the ship back to its intended culture of care and love. When the dust settles, history will be very unkind to us if we fail to rein in this bolted horse. The record of the actions of the leadership of the early church in Acts chapter 6 
takes for granted that we know and appreciate the value that the scripture places on the care of the most vulnerable of the society. We are told, rather matter-of-factly, that the leadership of the church was routinely, as a matter of course, directly involved in the feeding of the widows among them. This is no light matter, for a major theme of the Old Testament, from the Torah to the poets to the prophets, especially the prophets, was the inextricable link between the manifestation of the twin characters, holiness and love, that define Yahweh and the care of the vulnerable. The often used descriptor was widows, orphans, and strangers among you. The text here in Acts 6 describes the first establishment of the diaconate in the New Testament and is used by Luke to introduce us to Stephen. I am using it here to make the point that the leaders of the faith community did not remain aloof nor apathetic to the shortage of resources available to the most vulnerable among them. They were personally vested in it. The text tells us that this was done on a daily basis, not bi-weekly or monthly or a kind of one-off pantry collection. It would be foolish of any reader of the text to take their statement, the statement of the leaders in verses 2 to 4, as an indication, as any indication, that they considered the serving of tables as suddenly beneath them or less spiritual than preaching and praying. It is only persons who are under siege from their ego and pride that make such claims. Sadly, though, some such persons are parading in pulpits and on mass media today. Much to the contrary, the pillars of the faith community recognize this role as equally important. Much to the contrary, the pillars of the faith community recognized this role as equally important, as equally spiritual, and determined that neither acts of shepherding must suffer at the expense of the other. We get this directly from the text. Given the description of the persons that would be assigned this role, men known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And the one highlighted in the text, Stephen, was said to be full of the spirit and faith. It stands to reason that the other six brothers that were chosen would be likewise characterized, full of the spirit and full of faith. What do wisdom and faith and the fullness of the spirit of God have to do with feeding the vulnerable? Isn't that pushing it to an extreme? Absolutely not. This is making the point of how serious God takes this matter. Far too many church leaders consider such things as blasé, as beneath them, 
as irrelevant, as something for some uneducated church sister with nothing else to do to take care of. Our text shoots down that hellish idea. Too many of the leaders of the faith community approach benevolence from a human standpoint rather than entering into it with the aid of the Holy Spirit as is being suggested here. This is why it becomes very easy to reduce or cut entirely the budget for benevolence in favor of new furnishings for the sanctuary, for example. It is precisely the absence of spirit, wisdom, and faith from the leadership's response to the shortage of food and essentials by members and constituents, especially in times of crisis, that causes the needy to be treated and made to feel like they are a nuisance. Letters have to be written. Committees have to be established. People talk ad nauseum, perpetually passing the book perhaps in the hope that the ones begging will get tired of waiting and just go away. I cannot help but wonder to what extent the leadership of the faith community is sensitive to and agonizing in prayer and reliance on the Spirit of God for wisdom in responding to the looming crisis. Are we too busy clamoring for the reopening of churches? And why exactly? To what end? What is the, the true motive behind it? God promises wisdom to those who ask for it. The wisdom of God leads to solution-based ministry. What if church leaders began to prayerfully brainstorm and strategize practical solutions? In such a space, ideas such as what was done in Trinidad, the mass distribution of seeds for short food crops, logistic arrangements between urban and rural clergy to get food produce from farmers and into the urban households as another idea. What of the faith that is bold enough to make a drawdown on funds in escrow for building projects or perhaps just sitting in special accounts to draw down from such accounts to spend wisely on food and other essentials for the ones most affected. Faith, to have faith that will silence the dissenting voices that will suggest that it is not wise to deplete the church's long-term savings to feed people. Do you see why the requirements listed in our text were as they were? People filled with the spirit of God, wisdom, and faith. Let's shift across to examine the response of the members of the faith community. I want to join my voice with the few seeking to clarify that what is to be practiced in this time is physical spacing and not social distancing. We need each other and are by nature social beings. 
we were made for and need community. Stendhal, writing in 1993 in Christianity Today, says, One can acquire everything in solitude except character. The kind of character that binds us to each other. The kind of character that reminds us of our common frailties. COVID-19 has forcefully reminded us of this. This is why we must examine the response of the members of the faith community in times of crisis. In a previous episode on how to pray in times of financial crisis, we used the stellar example of the Macedonian church found in our 2 Corinthians 8 text as a model. We meet them here again for the manner in which they responded to the famine that was impacting Jerusalem. That faith community demonstrated community spirit on multiple levels. They were not rolling in dough, as the millennials would say. They didn't fill themselves, then gather the scraps to send to Jerusalem. They had very little. In fact, the text said they gave out of their nothingness. Theirs was extreme poverty. They didn't give under compulsion with a long face. They gave on their own volition. They eagerly gave. In fact, they begged for an opportunity to contribute. They gave their heart and liver, as it were. Paul put it this way. They gave beyond their ability to give. These folks exhibited joyful, rich generosity in the midst of their own extreme poverty. Here we have an absolute, genuine, caring community of faith. You can't quite fake this kind of solidarity. Dare I suggest that if the bad that is currently turns into worse ahead of us, nothing less than this is what will be required of the community of faith. Their faith, the faith of the Macedonians, was authenticated in this act of fraternity. The faith of the Macedonians was authenticated in this act of fraternity. Their relationship to God was not one of talk and blabbering. The text indicates that they gave themselves first to God and then to those leaders who were acting as the agents for those affected. Let me be very clear. No one whose heart is not surrendered to God can exhibit the kind of communal spirit described here. There goes that matter of faith and indwelling of the Holy Spirit once more. Clearly, these Christians were so yielded to God's Spirit that their basal selfish spirit was broken. This is precisely what transpired at Pentecost, a fact that is sadly missed by many today who remain stuck at the ecstatic descriptors of the power of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, thus failing to see the ethical indicators. 
the much-loved Pentecostal experience of Acts is not embraced in its outworking. That is, the link between the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the making of community. Put another way, it is the power of the Holy Spirit in those who were filled that killed their natural selfish ways and caused them to begin to think of the vulnerable among them in ways that they had never done previously. In Acts chapter 2, we read how they began to sell lands and bring the proceeds to the apostles. They began to share with one another. They had all things in common. No one had too much nor too little. Why are so many fixated on speaking in unknown languages and not similarly fixated on speaking in the well-known and understood language of care and compassion? Left to our own ends, we will hold our food and shun our neighbors. Did you notice that what is also going on in our Acts text is the rise of human selfishness, the spirit of ethnic prejudice and preferential treatment? Only the Spirit of God can annihilate that beast in us. The faith community invites all in, into a space of knowing that I am because you are. Ubuntu. By the time we read of the response of the leaders in Acts chapter 6, this response of the members of the community of faith was already solidly entrenched, was already a culture of the people of God. Now, I know that it is typical for Christians today to respond to messages like this by claiming rather conveniently that what we have in Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive. The Spirit of God won't let us off the hook that easily, though. So I want to raise an alarm. I am sounding a warning that what could lie ahead is a grand opportunity for the faith community to truly prove its mettle. If the love of Jesus that we talk so much about cannot make a difference in how we live with each other in a time of shortage, we might as well just keep quiet. So I challenge you to begin from now to contemplate ways in which you as an individual will ensure that you are your brother's keeper. To borrow the words of Ms. Rosalia Hamilton writing in the Gleaner newspaper, this weekend. What we need is not for the church to be reopened, but for church to be restructured, restructured along the lines of truly becoming a community of faith. You think about it. Let's talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of my podcast, Noteworthy with Teddy. This is Reverend Teddy A. Jones. You think about it, let's talk about it. I look forward to your questions and comments. Use the social media links provided here to connect with me. If it's noteworthy, then others need to hear. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends and family. See you on the next episode, DV.